There is a clear and achievable and life-changing way to experience God in every one of our days. It's something you, whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you really know about God, it's something you can actually experience each and every day. What is it? Well, stick around for the next 20 minutes or so, and we'll talk about it together. Most of us want to experience God in our lives, but in our search to experience God, we are usually only handed a set of beliefs, routines, and rules. The Christian version usually goes something like this. Believe there's a God, uh, believe that he created the world in seven literal days, believe in a literal Adam and Eve, uh, believe in a literal flood and Noah's Ark, follow the Ten Commandments, believe that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so we can go to heaven someday, uh, go to church, read your Bible, pray a lot, and, and make sure you're good. Ugh. Like, ugh. That's just so dry and, and boring and lifeless. Like, it's, it's no wonder that we get, get bored and, and burned out with church and religion. There's no room for, like, asking questions and exploring and imagining, having an imagination with, with our faith. There's no room to actually, like, experience the dynamic, real, life-giving God. We might believe the right things, but never really enjoy knowing and trusting Jesus. When we reduce Jesus to a set of beliefs, routines, and rules, we miss out on experiencing and knowing Jesus himself. But there's a better way, a better life that we are all invited into. It's closer and more attainable than I think most of us think. Whether, we're, whether you're new to the Jesus story or you've, you know, you've got a lot of years of experience under your belt, we're going to discover how to get away from the typical stale way of doing religion and, and belief and actually discover how we can experience true life with the real Jesus in our real life. What we'll discover is this. To experience the life Jesus offers, we have to be willing to see who Jesus really is. And we see it play out in one of the most personal and I think painful stories of Jesus' life. So at the point in the story where we are, Jesus' story, Jesus has been, you know, teaching a lot and getting people really impressed with just how he teaches his authority. He's been healing people. He uh, calmed the sea. He cast out an army of demons of somebody. He healed a woman of her sickness, and then he raised a girl from the dead. And so he's getting a large crowd following him. And so he feels, you know, maybe it's time for a change of venue. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Nazareth was a, a small village where everybody knew everybody. It's Jesus' childhood home. So like those streets are the streets that he had run down and played on as a kid. He'd fallen down and scraped his knee. Everybody knew everyone. And so as he's getting famous, word's starting to, to kind of filter back. Remember how his mother and brothers and sisters went to go get him, bring him back because they were hearing what he was doing. It sounded like he was going crazy. So word had been filtering back. And now he comes back. And it's probably like a big scene. This local boy, now famous preacher, comes back to his hometown with his, his group of students following him. You know, if you ever moved away from home for a while, maybe went to college or, or something like that, and then came back home for Christmas, that's exactly what it felt like probably for him. Or like going back to your high school reunion. Everybody wants to see what you're up to and, and who you really are. In fact, he created such a buzz that he gets invited to teach at the synagogue that Saturday. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to form such miracles? 
See, and what Mark doesn't tell us is exactly what Jesus was teaching. But he kind of leaves us to assume that what he's teaching is basically his main message from the beginning. That the kingdom of God is near and repent and believe. That God is restoring everyone and everything to himself. That the kingdom of God is going to rule in, in the hearts and minds of his people. And he's destroying the power of sin and death. And it's Jesus is saying it's happening now through me, right now. Maybe he talks about how God isn't this distant deity, but he's actually the loving father for all of us. Maybe he talks about, you know, what life in the kingdom of God is actually like, you know, for uh, loving our neighbors, forgiving our enemies, turning the other cheek when somebody tries to offend us, not judging somebody. And we do know, thanks to the historian Luke, a little bit of exactly what Jesus taught. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've heard has you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And at first, everyone's amazed. Like, oh my gosh, this guy, we know who this, like, he doesn't have any training and, and teaching. He didn't go to um, Torah school. He, you know, he was just a common worker like us. And like, wow, he has, maybe like the other people in the other villages where Jesus taught, this guy has such authority. He teaches so differently. And I love the way he talks about God, like he's, he's our father. But then you think he's in his hometown with his childhood friends, the gears start turning, right? And they say, wait, wait a second. What did he just say? He's saying he is the one who is bringing the kingdom of God. Like he's he's God's promised king, God's promised Messiah. That where he is, that's where God's kingdom is moving. Like, wait a second. We we know this guy. Like then they remember those awkward years of of Jesus' bo right and and his voice cracking and getting the zits. And they're like, wait a second. You're trying to say that you're who now? Jesus seems safe and easy to like until we actually pay attention to what. He says. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. See, when Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, they're expecting some nice, safe Torah teaching that they're used to. Right? Uh, maybe a story about Moses parting the Red Sea or, or David and Goliath. Or maybe, you know, it might be dry, but it's safe. A little, you know, teaching about how the ritual washing of hands and the Levitical law is, you know, what, what keeps us ritually clean. Maybe that's what they are expecting. They, basically, they wanted Jesus to reinforce what they already knew and what they already believed. That they were God's chosen people and that if you follow God's rules, then you're good. And anyone who's, who's not Jewish and doesn't follow these rules, well then, they're bad and they're out. But instead of Jesus teaching that, once these people paid attention to what he's saying, they start getting offended. They're like, who do you think you are? You think you're something special? You think you, think you can tell us the truth of life? You want us to follow you? Like, I changed your diapers, Jesus, right? Who do you think you are? We know who you are. You're just like a common carpenter like the rest of us. You're no king. You're no, nothing special. And we know your family. They're not that special either, unless you count that story about your mom getting pregnant before she was married. Yeah, we heard that one, which is why they said the son of Mary. Usually you just call him the son of Joseph. And so they're like, we know you. Like, who do you, 
Who do you think you are, Jesus? I, I know you too well. But think about it. We can actually do the same thing. Like we hear the things we want to hear about Jesus, that God loves us and, and we're forgiven. But then we actually start listening deeper into what else Jesus is saying. We start actually paying attention. So let me ask you, when was the last time Jesus offended you? If you've never been offended or challenged by Jesus, you probably haven't been paying attention. Because what he actually says is huge. He says he is God come to earth. And, and those people who have hurt you, those people who have mistreated you and been unfair to you, if you really want to experience living in the kingdom of God, forgive them. Love them. Those, those things, those, those successes and those accomplishments that you've been, you've been living for, that you've built your life on, they don't really mean anything. And they don't make you any better than anyone else. Those things you've been fighting for and fighting against, you won't find any purpose and fulfillment and happiness in those. In fact, give them up and follow me, Jesus says. And we say, no, no, Jesus, you're, you're nice, Jesus. You tell us the things that make us, make us feel good. You want me to be happy and wealthy. You're supposed to make me feel good and agree with what I agree with and disagree with what I disagree with and, and agree with how I see the world and how I see people. What we think we know about Jesus can blind us to who Jesus really is. When we can't see who Jesus really is, we miss out on the life he's actually inviting us to experience. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. Look how Mark describes that scene. It's actually kind of funny, right? He says, you know, they didn't believe Jesus. Jesus could only do a few miracles there. Like, no big deal. He healed a few sick people. Like, Think about it. Like, if I brought somebody on screen right now and you could tell they were sick, I don't know, leprosy or something, and I touched them and they were healed, you wouldn't believe it. You would think it's some kind of camera trick or, or editing thing, right? We would, And if you were in person, you saw it, you, you would be completely amazed if I just healed one person. And Mark's like, yeah, you know, he only touched a few sick people and they got healed and that was, no, whatever. <laughs> it's like, he's like, kind of, it was kind of boring that day. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, this shows us a few things here, but what I think it shows us right now is that Jesus could have done so much more. He could have done so much more for them if they were willing. Like, they could have been some of the first people to actually experience the kingdom of God. They could have experienced the, the purpose, the fulfillment, the joy, the love, the peace, the confidence, and the hope of the kingdom of God. But they refused to see him for who he really was. They refused to believe and trust him, and they missed it. They wanted a Jesus that they thought was safe. They wanted the Jesus they expected him to be. The nice, safe, good teacher. Teach the safe things they were used to. That they were the good people, right? How to convince, how to keep the rules and, and convince God to keep liking us. Uh, tell stories that made them feel good that for being the people of God, meaning that make them, remind them that they're better than everybody else. But no, he claimed to be more than that. And when he told them what God's true heart was, that it was for all people, when he talked about the condition of our heart instead of just going through the motions of our religion, when they actually felt challenged, they rejected him and they refused to trust him. They refused to believe him. They refused to see the real Jesus and refused to see the real life that Jesus was offering them. And Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. Like they hear what he has to say. He heals a few people, like proving that he is who he is. And some people believed him and went to get healed, but others, most of them, rejected him. I said, who do you think you are? They refused to believe in him. So it says he goes to different villages and starts teaching. He gives them what they want. 
he leaves them alone. And we don't have anywhere recorded that he actually returns back to his hometown. It's really a, a sad story. And we think about this story. We think, man, these guys, these Nazarenes, they're idiots. Like, what's wrong with them? How can they be so stubborn? How can they be so dumb? How can they not see Jesus for who he really is? Like, if they grew up with him, they know he's different. Like, how can they not see that? How can they not see these miracles and, and hear the teaching and not believe and do what he says, right? But before we judge them too harshly, I think we should ask ourselves, have we done the same thing? See, we hear what Jesus, we read about what Jesus said and what life in the kingdom of God is like. Things like, uh, it's harder for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Or that, you know, life is way more than our possessions. Life is about uh, our, a true relationship with God. But then, we hear those things, but then we still strive and scratch to get as more and more as we can to, in order to feel what, secure and to let other people know how wealthy we are. We, we sacrifice our people in order to have more possessions. We hear that Jesus says, you know, the humble will inherit the earth. The first will be last and the last will be first. And then we fight for power. We fight to be first. We fight to be influential. Well, it's not for me to have power, obviously. It's so that I can affect, you know, the, the culture for Jesus. I, I, I try to get influ be an influential, important person for Jesus. <laughs> who said we should be humble? Uh, he says, those who work for peace will be called children of God. If someone tries to take your jacket from you, give them your shirt also. But then we fight with anyone who disagrees with us. We take offense with anything that could even be slightly be offensive to us. And we, we fight in order to protect and change things. For who? Well, not just because that's what I'm comfortable with. No, we fight to change things for Jesus, who said, you know, be a peacemaker. He says, and so we fight instead. He says, love your enemies and do good to them. And we say, ah, uh, yeah, that's a little naive. Like, that doesn't work in the real world, Jesus. Like, you don't actually know what you're talking about. Like, I get, you know, loving the people like me and being good for my people and my community, but loving my enemies, that doesn't even, that doesn't even make sense. How are you going to live that way. We hear Jesus talk, tell us to care for and protect and honor the weak, the different, the poor, and, and the foreigner. And we're like, oh, those people? Like, those people? Like, they're a drain on the society. That is no way to run a country, Jesus. Like, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. Like, I made it on my own, so therefore, they can too. Like, they should get a job. Definitely not live near me. And, and some of them, Jesus, they should probably just go back to where they came from, right? Like, hey, Jesus, you know, that that's cute. And what a nice ideal that we could never live up to. Why don't you just get back to, you know, telling me how, how good I am with, like, how forgiven I am, how much God loves me. And we'll just, you know, then I'll, you know, maybe put some money in the bucket and we'll be okay. We hear Jesus say, hey, don't hinder the little ones that are coming to me and that God so loved the world and that Jesus, who's our neighbor? Everyone. And then we see people and they don't look like we think they should. They don't act like we think they should. They don't believe the way we think they should. They don't vote the way we think they should. They don't love the way we think they should. And we say, oh, I can't accept them. Like if I accepted them, Jesus, the way you're telling me to, well, then that would be me condoning their lifestyle, wouldn't it? See, we like the idea of Jesus when we think that he agrees with what we agree with and, and gets mad at what we get mad at and agrees with the way we see the world and, and the way we treat people. But when we actually hear what he is saying, we refuse to do anything different than our preconceived prejudices and leanings. And that's a huge problem. 
See, to reject his teachings is to reject him. And to reject him is to reject the power that can actually change people. And we can't actually see miracles, whatever they are, in our life when we reject Jesus. And Jesus offers us so much more than a set of beliefs and dry routines and a list of rules. He offers us real life, real purpose, real peace and love and joy and confidence here and now and forever. But to actually experience the life Jesus offers, we have to be willing to trust, follow, and experience the actual Jesus. And did you know Jesus wasn't a Republican and Jesus wasn't a Democrat? In fact, he didn't care about politics at all. His kingdom isn't part of this world. It's outside of it. And it's so much bigger and greater than any kingdom we can even try to bring on earth. He doesn't care about race and nationality and gender and position and education and social standing. He doesn't care about our made-up religious rules and routines. What does Jesus care about? Jesus cares about people. Jesus cares about people. And if we know who Jesus is, then we know he doesn't want us to do something for him until we are willing to do something for our neighbor. If we know the real Jesus, we know that to unconditionally accept and serve our neighbor is what it means to actually love and follow and trust God and to experience him in our lives now. See, whatever allows us to love our neighbor better, Jesus is for. Whatever keeps us from loving our neighbor better, Jesus is against. So, the question is, who are we trying to make Jesus to be? What picture have we made up of Jesus that is blinding us to the real Jesus? What are we afraid of losing that makes us keep Jesus in this nice, safe box and keeps us from experiencing the true life that he offers? Have we made Jesus into a set of beliefs and routines and rules? Or have we allowed him to simply be who he really is and take him at his word? Like, what would that look like? How can we do that? Like, obviously, if you made it this far, you're like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm ready. I want to do that. I want to take him at his word and actually, you know, live like he's saying. Well, so what are some practical steps to help us discover, trust, and follow the real Jesus? Here's three, I think. So to experience the actual Jesus in our actual lives, first, we need to learn about the real Jesus. We need to read the accounts of his life and what he actually taught. How did he interact with people? How is that different than how you would have reacted and, and talked to those people in those situations? Then read what he taught. A great place to start is in the book of Matthew. Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We call that the Sermon on the Mount. It's like a summary of Jesus' teaching, like the main heart of Jesus. Read that and then allow yourself to be offended. Allow yourself to be challenged. Why is that pricking something inside of you? And how would the heart of that teaching, how would that look in your life now? How can you take that heart and bring it to your life now? How could it be applied? And then apply it. Like, do it, even if it goes against what your politics or your culture or your social values say you should do. Second, to experience the actual life Jesus offers, invite the real Jesus into your real life. By how? Well, what we call practicing the art of following Jesus. Those are things like practicing silence, solitude, and prayer so that you can be with him and actually know him and have him in your life. Practicing hospitality, eating and drinking with people. Practicing generosity, practicing fellowship and worship and, and celebration and, and blessing others. Maybe it's the idea of journaling your thoughts and your prayers with Jesus, a way of like bringing him into your everyday. Maybe it's something called uh, breath prayers, where whatever is going on, you can... Breathe in a thought and then bring out, breathe out a thought like, 
you are with me and then and you'll never leave me you are with me and you'll never leave me maybe it's creating prayers for each part of your day like like celtic christian like saint patrick they had prayers for when they'd light a fire when they'd make a meal when we brush our teeth when we get in the car we can have prayers that invite jesus into our everyday life into our routines and then third we need to trust that Jesus is who he said he is and will do what he said he will do. See, when we actually trust that he is who he said he is, we can trust that he sees us, that he knows us, that he loves us, that he will never leave us and that he is in control and that he is good. And when we trust that he will do what he said he will do, we can trust that he will make us into who he created us to be, that he will always be with us, that he will give us a new, abundant, full life now and forever. See, it's never too late to discover the real life Jesus offers. And that list of names were like, we know Jesus' family. In fact, some of his brothers are right here. And they named two of them. They named uh, James and Judas, which could also be translated as Jude. Now, James we know of because, first of all, it's believed he wrote the book of James in the New Testament. And he actually, we have historical proof, G James became the leader of the first church in Jerusalem, the church devoted to worshiping his brother. He came the leader of that first church. In fact, he was so devoted to his brother that around 62 AD, the high priest had him killed. And then Jude, you know how we know about Jude? Because he wrote, it's believed he wrote another book of the New Testament that we call Jude. And they're thinking like, they probably would say to you, if you came to them and they, they would say, my crazy brother predicted to die and rise again. And then, you know what? I thought he was crazy. I was really sad that he got himself killed. But then he actually rose again like he said he would and that's why i've devoted my life to following him not the not the jesus i thought i was growing up with not the jesus you know i want first wanted him to be no he has completely transformed my life by me allowing him to be who he really is me following that jesus see they discovered their real brother and in the process they discovered the real life that he offers all of us and you and i can discover that too it's only when we accept Jesus for who he really is that he can remake us into who he made us to be. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there'll be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. And we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form. Say hello. Uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you, and we'll see you next week.